0: Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger. On this episode of the program, we are doing some year-end financial and tax planning. I'm
1: a huge fan of automatic savings plans. Everybody should be saving something. I like to set up those auto savings plans, and at the end of the year, I like to increase them. Even if it's a modest amount, the psychological you know, happiness you get from saving more would be really powerful. So set your auto savings plans
0: welcome to the Jill on money podcast we are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs okay tick-tock tick-tock it is time for you to take advantage of the calendar and pounce on your year-end financial and tax planning we have an expert. He is my friend. He's my investment advisor. He's Michael Goodman. He's also a CPA and a CFP. He is the founder and president of a company called Wealth Stream Advisors here in New York City. So here's my pal, Michael Goodman. We're going to drill down, so pay attention. This is going to go quickly.
1: You're listening to Jill on Money with Jill Schlesinger.
0: Michael Goodman, welcome to the pod. Welcome back to the pod. How are you?
1: I'm fantastic. Thanks for having
0: me back. Why do you think that year end presents some unique opportunities when it comes to not the actual advice, but even capturing people's imagination around financial planning?
1: We're sort of a fourth quarter, two minutes left in the game type of society, it seems. And most people don't seem to take action until it's near the buzzer. So we get some people to focus at this time of year and we get them to take action because there is this December 31st deadline for some things. For other things, there really isn't a December 31st deadline, but it's a great time to do some of that planning anyway.
0: Do you find that when you talk to your clients, <clears throat> like the one sitting in front of you right now, that people are receptive to it or do they kind of push you off? Like, dude, I'll talk to you after the first of the year.
1: No, no. I think most people are pretty engaged. For some reason, Of all the different elements of financial planning, taxes seem to get most people in the craw, and they're very willing to listen at least. They might not take action, but they are attentive.
0: And so there are some real issues around tax planning as we come to the end of the year. So let's talk about a few of those. Let's not go nutty. But why is it? That you think that the withholding is becoming so insane with people, like they really went crazy last tax season, said I got didn't get as big a refund, but they really got the same refund. What happened? The tax
1: tables change in the sense that the way the IRS or the government is now suggesting that you withhold or mandating, I should say, that you withhold. And they're doing that across the board. And it's just like a general thing for everybody. Everybody has a very different individual tax situation. So the withholding for most people that I tend to deal with, especially in bigger cities where they're making more money, is under withholding and they're not generally – in a good shape at the end of the year, where such that they might actually owe money come April 15th.
0: That's not fun. But if you're under withholding, should you withhold more or should you just set more money aside in your checking account? Yeah,
1: not necessarily. So I'd like to spend a minute, if we could, on this major psychological disconnect of whether I owe money or not on April 15th. The poor tax preparer, CPA no matter what they do, how good of a job they do, you judge them based on whether or not you owe money or not most people. People don't really think about it. You're actually paying taxes throughout the year. And if you think through the concept of I'm making deposits all along the year and I just owe a little more money, it's not like I have a bigger tax, I just didn't make enough to pod this throughout the year, then it's a much better psychological exercise. And the reality is, who would you rather hold your money throughout the year? The IRS? Or would you rather have it in an interest-bearing account or something else where you get use of it?
0: You know, what's so funny is that people just seem to really get freaked out about that idea of owing money. As you say that you know obviously there are some things you could do before the end of the year to maybe make the likelihood that you even if you did owe some money that you may be able to reduce that so one idea put more money into your pre-tax retirement account, right?
1: That's right. That's right. You know, the reality is it all comes down to setting expectations. And the number one thing you can do is get a projection. Go to your tax preparer CPA and say, hey, these are my numbers. Here's my most recent pay stub. This is what's happening elsewhere in my tax world, investments, et cetera. And how am I doing? What really hurts on April 15th is when you're not expecting to owe a lot of money. But if you know, then you'll be able to get by.
0: All right. By the way, the IRS.gov has a beautiful withholding estimator. I happen to play with it a little bit it's not a hundred percent which is why it's going to your own preparer makes sense a lot of people who are listening they got some side hustles they got some gig stuff what happens if you know you thought it was just a little bit of money but it turned into maybe 10 20 grand what if you didn't make an estimate during the year what happens like you're what you're supposed to do everyone with your side hustles is you're supposed to kind of send a little piece to the IRS and say I'm gonna make some money and here's a little tax benefit for you, Uncle Sam. Boom. But what if you didn't? What if you find yourself, it's a few weeks left in the year, you have not made an estimate?
1: Just because you didn't make an estimate doesn't necessarily mean there'll be a problem or a, or a penalty is really the focal point here. Because if you didn't pay enough tax, and you could have a penalty. But there are other things that you can do to minimize that penalty, like funding a retirement plan for your side hustle or looking to maybe make more contributions to charity
0: All right, so huge year for the markets but you could have a a stinker in there why do you think people are just so reluctant to sell those losers
1: it's mostly a psychological process of course you know the price that you paid for that stock has nothing to do with where it is today or where it will be in the future you know somebody once said the market doesn't care what your cost is the reality is it's just some psychological marker on holding on to that stock
0: so what's your advice? Someone here is um, listening to the pod and they manage their own stuff. They've got a taxable account. What's the first thing they do? They look for the losers or they look for the winners? What should they be doing?
1: Well, the first thing they should doing is getting a sense of their overall tax picture. Maybe they have a cap loss carry forward from losers in the prior year that's going to carry forward into this year such that the losers from this year aren't actually even going to be helpful. Uh, but generally speaking, all things being equal, you'd want to take those losses this year a, to offset any cap gains you have in this year, and B, you're going to get to use 3000 of those dollars to offset regular income, ordinary income, like wages or interest, and that is at even higher tax rate, so it's pretty powerful.
0: Is it ever advisable to take that big hit, that big loss right now and carry it forward, or should you wait year by year?
1: Generally speaking, I'm a fan of taking those losses because generally speaking, I tend to deal with people that make a lot of money and will continue to do so.
0: Such a snob.
1: If you're going to be working with uh, somebody or you're in a situation where you know your income tax is going to drop precipitously, maybe it's your last couple of years of work and you're going to have a big gap before you start taking Social Security or pension income, then it might not make sense because your cap gains will be taxed in such a lower rate in the future – those losses that are going to offset are going to be wasted on these lower brackets.
0: You are still operating under the thesis that the tax change that occurred after the sunsetting of these rules, that tax rates will likely go higher. That's a, your your basic premise, right?
1: Sort of. There's a lot of factors that, that are in that, not only what administration will be in, in play, but also what tax bracket will you personally be in and will you be working or not? There's so many factors.
0: When you look at your client-based. In your experience when they retire, does their tax bracket go down or not?
1: So yeah, I, I'll go yes. I'll go yes. And just say yes. Generally speaking, their their brackets do go down. However, more and more people are working longer and longer. So when people retire at say 65 and they don't collect social security for a couple of years and they don't take money out of their retirement accounts until they have to at 70 and a half, some of these clients, or some of these people and taxpayers I should say Hmm. are in much lower brackets for a couple of years which presents all sorts of really cool opportunities people though, are working longer and longer and really doing a really good job of saving into these retirement accounts stock market's been on a great run and they find themselves retiring at 70 very large amount of Social Security and even bigger required minimum distributions or what we, as we like to call them RMDs that are being forced out of their retirement accounts
0: so let's talk about those RMDs because we've pounded this into people which is after you turn 70 and a half the government says we want some of that money they force you to take a certain amount out every year the required minimum distribution it doesn't usually present a huge problem. Most people do really actually rationally understand that, but it can hurt you. If your RMD is too big, how can it hurt you?
1: Well, it, it can hurt you in a couple of ways, and that's often referred to as like the stealth tax because all this money is being thrown onto your tax return, and there are other formulas or other factors in play here. For example, if when you're in retirement, you're, the Medicare premiums that you'll pay will differ dramatically depending on how much income you have. Your Medicare Part B could be as little as like 100 and change, all the way up to 400 and change, depending on what you're AGI or adjusted gross income could be and there's many other elements of this stealth tax
0: and also like taxability of your Social Security benefits right right? so that could that could add in there so is it your opinion then that you want to encourage more and more people to consider a Roth conversion because not just because of that but that is one reason to kind of get some of that money taxed while rates are still pretty low
1: That's right. So one of our favorite things to do is look at somebody who's retired, but retired maybe at that 65 age and has that gap in income for a little while and do sort of mini Roth conversions for a couple of years. So you're taking some of that IRA money, converting it to a Roth. You'll never pay tax on it again, but you do pay tax on that conversion, hopefully at these lower rates.
0: All right. Now let's talk about charities because December is where so much charitable giving occurs going back to the your original premise which is like kind of understand your tax position before you start giving money away you or if you are charitably inclined you need to figure out whether or not you are going to be an itemizer or not so that deduction is simply that amount of money that's not subject to taxes essentially, right right? okay now let's talk about how you are likely to find yourself as an itemizer one way you live in a high tax state you got high local taxes although they are capped at $10,000 sadly yes Two, you got a mortgage you got mortgage interest that's right deductible if you have a million dollars pre the tax law change seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of mortgage debt post post next big item
1: medical dispense oh I'm sorry. oh, I didn't oh yeah I forgot about there. medical medical expenses which yep. changed this year by the way last year that hurdle rate was seven and a half percent of AGI or yeah. as we said earlier adjusted gross income mm. so this year it was. It's been raised to ten percent of uh-huh. your AGI. Oh, year.
0: look, see, there's something different. Mark just would prove the point. Yeah,
1: Mark just Mark threw me off there a little bit. What before. did he do? Was he, was he about just to say something? Boasting, ten. He was boasting his his knowledge. Now that he's a yeah, CFP. he's a bona fide yeah, yeah, yeah. CFP
0: yeah. exam passer. Yes. See, no one. I don't want to get in trouble with the CFP board for That's saying true. he's a CFP professional Thank yet. You. You. So look, if you're wondering, do you think you're going to be an itemizer? Ask yourself, do I live In an area with high local taxes do I have a mortgage a big one a big one do I have big medical expenses and have I given to charity or intend to give to charity those are your biggies now let's say that you're close you don't quite make it to being an itemizer what should you do to maybe get the benefit of itemizing maybe in your charitable giving what should you do
1: Well, if you're under the age of 70 and a half, then you should probably do what we like to call bunching. And that is if you're giving an amount to charity that normally wouldn't get you over that threshold, just bunch it up so that either every other year you're doing double, which gets you over the threshold. Or if you have enough patience, maybe even every three years, bunch it up to get a bigger number and get that deduction.
0: And you love these donor-advised funds, and explain what that is, because that can help you control the spigot.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, first, let's step back. There's two ways to give money to charity. First is cash, and then the second is using what we fondly call appreciated securities, which sounds like a fancy term for something that just went up in value. So, if you give the actual stock or the mutual fund, you'll get the same exact deduction, but in addition to that, you'll avoid the tax on the appreciation at capital gains tax.
0: And the charity doesn't care because they're not going to, they're going to get the security. So you, Michael, sends me, Jill's charity, 501c3, sends me a million dollars of his S&P 500 index, which is appreciated greatly. And if he were to sell it himself, he has to pay a huge capital gain. You send it to me I can sell it or just add it to my endowment, and I don't have a taxable event because I'm a charitable organization.
1: That's right. And the reason the donor advised fund comes into play is because you want to make a deduction. You want to get credit on your tax return for a deduction this year, but you're either not ready to or haven't decided what charities you want to actually disperse the money to. So you get a deduction for putting the money in the donor advised fund because technically it's it's an official charity. And then either immediately or at some point in the future, you can – choose to grant that money out to the charity so for bunching purposes it's very convenient
0: all right now let's talk about 70 and a half we talked about required minimum distribution but let's say you are charitably inclined you're lucky enough you as you say hey you know what you're so lucky that your tax bracket went down you're not going to itemize but you do like you want to give some money away let's talk a little bit about the infamous Q C D
1: Yes. The Qualified Charitable Distribution, or QCD, is a wonderful rule that allows people to donate up to $100,000 of their required minimum distribution directly to charity. And what's powerful about that is the money doesn't even show up on your tax return. So the concept here that we talked about earlier of your adjusted gross income or the AGI going up and creating all these other stealth taxes, you eliminate that and the money just doesn't show up on your tax return at all.
0: A lot of people listening might be thinking like ah I need my my distribution to live on. We're not saying you should forego that. You shouldn't go into credit card course, debt to do that. But we're saying if you are just fortunate enough not to need this and that makes your life a little bit easier.
1: There are some important rules about the QCD. Of
0: course there are.
1: So the first one is you can't take money from uh, an IRA QCD and put it in donor advised fund. It's got to go directly to the charity, right. which sort of brings me to number two is it's got to go directly to the charity. So a lot of people think I can take my RMD and then donate it once I get it. No, Mm-mm. that's a big no, no. It must go directly to the charity. So be careful with that. This is Jill on money
0: hey gang it's me Jill Schlesinger you know that you listen to the pod certified financial planner CBS News business analyst host of this here podcast Jill on money and I am here to tell you about our sponsor Marcus by Goldman Sachs they're helping people achieve financial well-being with simple and transparent banking products including clarity money that's a free personal finance management app that's part of the Marcus family clarity money is your AI powered financial champion that shows you a simple view of your finances together in one place they recently launched a weekly budgeting feature that you've just got to try The app does the hard part for you and calculates your average weekly spend by category you can take that information so you can set informed budget goals based on what matters most to you you can also subscribe to budget alerts to help keep you on track and start with a clean slate every week who doesn't want that it's super easy to use and can make a task like budgeting kind of fun so go check it out download clarity money through Google Play or iTunes or visit Marcus.com forward slash clarity and now back to year-end financial planning with Michael Goodman as we come to the end of the year what do you think about um, the idea let me give you two choices that you have we've got someone listening and it's a 40 year old couple they've got some extra money they can shove it into a retirement account or they can put money into a 529 plan Give me the uh, breakdown. What do you think?
1: How old are their kids?
0: Let's say, a, what's our average 40 year old? Let's say a three and a six year old.
1: It's, it's an if and a but. So, my generic response would probably be retirement first, just because you can't borrow for retirement, you can't sort of work a little harder for retirement, you can't sort of delay it. Re- you know, it's there and you need the cash. So, I always say, fund your retirement before you're 529. However, the 529 does create some really powerful benefits if you have enough of a runway. In the ages that you just used, there's some runway there, right? We have 10 to 15 years before those dollars are going to get used, maybe even longer if you're funding it through the years in college. And what a lot of people sort of don't focus on enough that's so powerful about the 529 is the tax-free growth that you get.
0: Okay, let's go back to, I want to ask you a couple of questions about just general things that we're... Constantly inundated with these questions we are still getting just an enormous number of people who are being sold annuity Mm -hmm. proposals or at least being presented with annuity proposals and the good news is they are contacting us so what is the current state of the annuity market as you see it you get to see a lot of these proposals because people come in and say hey are they have old annuities what do you think is going on right now with the annuity market
1: so from my particular lens, which is probably not a whole industry because we don't deal with annuities in our office, but I do see them out there and read a little bit about it. From what I see is annuity sales are better than ever. And the reason I think they're better than ever is because of these guarantees that the insurance companies will put in, in these policies that give clients comfort if the market tanks or they're just not comfortable in general with the market and they're not happy with the modest interest rate they're getting. They'll take those guarantees
0: and what's the downside of the guarantee
1: well the challenge with the guarantees is twofold first of all you really can't do much better than the guarantees because of all the costs that are layered into these annuities and number two is depending on the annuities because I can't speak for everyone but the majority of them the only way to get that guarantee is either to die and your beneficiaries will get it or what's called annuitize meaning I'm gonna give up my my value and take an income stream and the problem with that is most people don't know what a good income stream is based on the value. They just assume it's going to be great because it's got that guarantee.
0: When you look at that guarantee, therein lies kind of the, the critical aspect of investing, which is it's just rife with uncertainty. And what do you do when you have a client who comes to you and just says, I'm so scared? You know, let's say you've gone through the whole process And it's still someone who's so scared what's the next best option for someone like that who just says I can't stand risk I mean I kind of know I should be investing but I'm not investing so what what's the next best game plan for that person
1: well I would still try to show them how much risk they might need or not need to reach their goals and I know you said well assume you've gone through all that but once we're there I would probably try to take some baby steps let's maybe take you know a very modest percentage of your assets and invested in something with the mindset of that your prices aren't tomorrow. Have, that's the whole key, right? If we're investing something for with a hypothetical 10-year time horizon, it doesn't matter what the ride is like. Just put your seatbelt on, forget about it. Don't even look. Don't even read your statements because the prices that we're looking for are in 10 years from now
0: what is your view on somebody who just says well then what do I need you for Michael what do I need an investment advisor for if I'm just gonna you know why don't I just buy 90% of my portfolio I'm gonna put it in CDs and I'll buy a stock index with 10% and I'm done
1: from an investment standpoint, there is a really strong argument not to need an investment advisor if all your money is going to be in CDs. However, I think what happens often is you see a lot of people oversimplify and make some big mistakes. And the idea of a municipal bond portfolio that doesn't have income taxes might actually give you a better return over time with very, very little incremental risk than the CDs will in the first place. Uh, That's number one. Number two is sometimes people need to be educated as to the risks of low returns there's this concept of inflation although granted inflation's lower but things do get more expensive every year so if your money's in CDs I used to call that losing money safely because first of all you're giving up a, <laughs> I like that first of all you're giving up a percentage of taxes to some degree uh, you know of course not in an IRA but elsewhere and then the second thing is you're giving up money to inflation hopefully
0: inflation will stay low but you know we don't know when you do planning for your clients even for yourself what is the investment return if we've got say a 20 or 30 year time horizon a lot of people will call up here and they'll say I want to do my retirement planning what do you think is a reasonable rate of return let's do it for um, you know sort of a young person starting out who can take some risk and then more of the how shall we say middle age or old people like us so 40s 50s 60s you know again like sort of go for like the rate of return if you're a growth investor regardless of age rate of return for a balanced investor what do you think is a reasonable rate of return as people start plugging away at some of these numbers
1: yeah, well, the long-term return on stocks, depending on whether you're talking about small cap or large company stocks, but long-term return on stocks is, let's just call it 10% to keep the conversation simple. And then bonds, long-term returns are much more modest. And today, with even lower interest rates, you know, we a lot of people think bonds do better than they, than they really do because of this decline of interest rates over time. So bonds have done better. But let's put bonds at, say, 3%, just for purposes mm-hmm. of this conversation, depending, of course, what kind of bonds, et cetera. Right. So... Aggressive, you have the 10%. Every time you add in bonds to reduce that aggressiveness or make it more palatable to ride the roller coaster, if you will, you bring that 10% down. So I would say aggressive people, young people, maybe they have 80% stocks in their portfolio. Yeah, we can talk something around 8-ish percent returns. Uh, somebody who's a little more balanced, I like to say 6%-ish or so, 5 6% is a good sort of reasonable would moderate.
0: you say of the um your cohort of clients who is my age that I would fall on the high wimp side of the equation? No, you're you're
1: <laughs> you're just a moderate wimp. I wouldn't call you a high wimp.
0: <laughs> Except that I've had this um outlook for at least 10 years, yeah. maybe 15. Uh, what have I forgotten? What else do you want to talk about?
1: So I think what's really important to focus on here is that, as we said earlier, year-end planning is a good deadline to think about things. So it might not even be things that have a deadline. So do some other financial checkups. What's your cash reserve? Do you have enough money in the bank? Is, is that good? Or should you set a goal next year to accumulate a little bit more? Or do I have too much, and should I put it in the market or do something else with it that's productive? Have you checked the beneficiaries on your retirement account so they're the way you want them to be? Things could have changed in the last couple of years. When's the last time you did your will? Something to look at as well. These kinds of things I think people forget about.
0: One of my favorites, very boring property and casualty insurance. I think that that is an area that people don't pay attention to until there's a disaster.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, the whole purpose of insurance is to put off risk to somebody else that you don't want to bear, right? So you should really think about it that way. And I think a lot of people make some very quick decisions when they buy homes and cars because the buying of the car the car or the home is way more exciting to them than focusing on the insurance. And things change over time. The car might not be as valuable. The house might be more valuable, et cetera. All right, what else you got? Another good thing to do year-end is to rebalance your investment accounts.
0: Of course. Or especially while you're harvesting all those losses.
1: That's right. And by the way, you might want to wait until after January 1st to rebalance if they will create gains to do so. But it's a good time of the year to look at it.
0: And also you can do the rebalancing. Also, if you are looking at giving to charity, that might help you rebalance as well. That's right. right. Take those
1: winners, give them to charity. Right. Okay. got it. What else? Good point.
0: Thanks, man. The only
1: other two things I was going to bring up was. Only
0: two more things. All right. Okay. I'm totally kidding.
1: So one other thing to bring up would be, you know, savings plans. I'm a huge fan of automatic savings plans. Everybody should be saving something. So I like to set up those auto savings plans, and at the end of the year, I like to increase them. Even if it's a modest amount, the psychological, you know, happiness you get from saving more would be really powerful. So set your auto savings plans.
0: And your last but not least. Insurance. Life.
1: Life, disability, long-term care, all these kinds of insurance. Once again, hate insurance but insurance is really all about passing on that risk that you don't want to bear and as you get older and as your life changes and your priorities change and your responsibilities change the amount of insurance that you might need could change too
0: and if you've got an old cash value policy don't just quickly blow it out and take the money because there could be tax implications there could be more efficient ways to get the money out and as you say you know make sure someone else is taking a look at all of this Michael Goodman the founder and president of wealth stream advisors my friend my financial advisor really my friend first I, I like so. being your friend more than Well, you're not a bad advisor you're <laughs> all right <laughs> thank you for joining us today
1: great to be here You're listening to Jill on
0: Money. It's time for the Marcus Minute. We are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. In the hot seat today, Michael Goodman. He is the founder and president of WealthStream Advisors. Are you ready to play? I am ready. Michael, what's one word to describe your relationship with money? Confusing. What's always worth spending on? Family. What's the dumbest thing you've spent money on? A bar tab. I can't even ask you this. How much do you spend on a haircut?
1: I do it myself.
0: It's <laughs> so best. He's bald, guys.
1: Shampoo lasts a really long time in my house.
0: It's your last day on earth. You got 100 bucks in your pocket. What's your last meal?
1: Uh, well, I think what's more important is who it's with, and that would definitely be family and my friends. Last meal, probably pizza. Where? At Gabby's Pizza in Hollis, Queens, where I grew up.
0: Michael Goodman, thanks for playing.
1: Thank you, Jill. It was a blast
0: thanks again to my pal Michael Goodman if you want to find information about him just check out the show notes we drop new episodes of Jill on money every Tuesday and Thursday sometimes we sneak a bonus episode in if you want to make sure not to miss one of those fabulous bits of content just subscribe to us you can do that on Apple stitcher radio.com Google Play anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts our music is composed by Joel Goodman mark to is our executive producer We're distributed by cadence 13 and our show is presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs.